Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, band. I'm excited about today. I'm considering, um, excuse me, I'm continuing this series in Philippians. Unfortunately, it was like over a month ago when we started this, that we had the Advent sermons and Christmas, so you're forgiven and excused if you forgot that one. I'll remind you of the key points, but I'm very excited about today's message. Let me ask you something. Does fate, as the world knows it, does fate stand a chance against the sovereignty of God? What about chance? Does chance, does it trump the sovereignty of God as the world knows it? Are there accidents when it comes to God's sovereign purposes and will? What about our circumstances? Do we find ourselves in circumstances because of fate or chance? Or here's a fun word for you, happenstance. Or is it the sovereignty of God? There's a story today, a wonderful story. It's about Paul. Paul is being held captive. He's chained. He's confined. He's restricted. All for the purpose of the gospel. He did not commit a crime. He was placed in prison for the defense of the gospel. Folks, this was a two-year prison sentence. He was in there for two years. This was not an accident that landed him in chains. It was not fate. It was not chance. It was the working and purposeful will of God. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. I'd like to read verses 12 through 18. Philippians 1, 12 through 18. It reads, I want you to know, brothers, that what has really happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ for envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. That is our text for today. Christians must come to the realization and acceptance that God is in control and not us. And that's tough. Amen. That is tough for us. God is in control. Because if you look in heaven and on earth, all that has been created and all that will be created are a part of his ultimate design. Therefore, we can see his powerful, all-knowing work. That's God's powerful, all-knowing work that is working everything together for the good according to his purpose. Paul understood this, and so should we. And that's what we're going to dive headfirst in today. Verse 12 said what? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served 
to advance the gospel. When we look at words or a sentence like this says, I want you to know what's happened to me, usually we attach our feelings, right? How it impacted us, what the results were. Usually when I say, I want you to know what's happened to me, it's gonna be all about me. And I think you could probably say the same thing about yourselves. Guess what happened to me? But here we have Paul saying, I want you to know what happened to me, brothers. And brothers is, in the Greek, is adelphoi. That means collectively brothers and sisters. We're talking, and he's addressing the Philippian church. It's the men and women of that congregation. That's who he's talking to. He's saying, listen, this is what's happened to me. Paul was doing more than simply informing or testifying about his circumstances. What he wanted them to know was that he was revealing God's sovereignty in his circumstances, not about in his circumstances. So we can see that as he addressed them, I want you to know what's happened to me. It's not about Paul at all. We're we're selfish people. Wait a minute. It can't be about me. No, it's not about Paul at all. It's about the advancement, the progress, and the furtherance of the gospel. Some of your Bibles probably read furtherance. I really like that word. In the Greek, it's a military word that means for someone that goes kind of before troops to cut away, to open into new territory, to further. And I like to also like the word pioneers a lot because I think a lot of us in here are pioneers. But it was those that pioneered, that advanced forward. They would cut a path to advance forward. That's where furtherance is. That's the advancement, the progress. I just wanted to give you a visual picture of what was happening here. Paul was describing the new areas of ministry that were opening up. The church in Philippi may have thought that Paul's imprisonment was going to hinder, right? Or, or, or hinder or actually uh, hurt the ministry. The gospel's not going to be spread if Paul's in prison. They may have thought that, but Paul, he wanted to remove these concerns by saying, I want you to know what's happened to me has actually advanced the spread of the gospel. It is being furthered. We're pioneering here in Rome. So I'm sure Paul would have much preferred to enter Rome as a preacher rather than a prisoner. I think everybody could back that statement. But Paul sees that his circumstances and the results that are evident are by God's design. This imprisonment, This imprisonment was not oppositional to the spreading of the word. It was opportunistic. There was opportunity in the spreading of the word. And Paul understood this. How do we get to that place? How do we get to that place? Look at verses 13 through 17, just so we can set the stage here. Paul said, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. It's been known. It's become known. That's important for us to remember. And to all the rest. Don't let that little word rest slip by. That's extremely important for this. That my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident, again, I did not plan that song, Confidence, become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish, uh, selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. These are extremely important verses after Paul has introduced what's happened to him. 
It's extremely important because we're having the meat to the sandwich here, if you will. Paul's saying that there's this imperial guard. Your Bibles may say praetorium. I want to just go ahead and clear the air with praetorium. There's three different uh, possibilities for praetorium. One was a camp outside the city where the praetorian guards would reside in that camp. There was another one that's considered the governor's residence. And the other one, the one that I believe, is, was a barracks connected to the palace. Regardless of the placement, the praetorian guards could have been located anywhere, and this is the imperial guard. This is the special guard to the emperor. This is who was watching Paul. These weren't hired security guards. These were special guards to the emperor. And it was these imperial guards where this gospel has started to become known. The reason Paul was in prison was not because of a crime. He didn't steal, right? There was no murder involved. There was no heinous crime. It was all because he preached Christ. Now, Paul was not in a dungeon. Not yet. He was not in a jail cell. He was placed in what we call a rented house, meaning Paul could have people come in and visit. He could dictate letters to those that were writing for him. He could mail them out. He could have uh, people come in to learn. He could teach. But here's the thing about this imprisonment, and this would drive me insane. i got to share this with you. He had no liberties because he was chained to a guard, 24, chained to guards, excuse me, 24 hours a day. This imperial guard came in six-hour shifts. He was always chained to somebody. Could you even imagine that? Somebody always up in your business, no privacy, watching your every move. For me, it, I would probably be dragging a corpse on the end of my chain. I could not deal with that. I need privacy. I need alone time. I need to think. Someone was always connected to Paul in chains. That's who this imperial guard was. But God is awesome. Here's how this works. Let me ask you this. Let's flip the coin. Could you imagine being chained to Paul, hearing all those prayers, hearing him singing, hearing him talk his letters out, as he's, even this in Philippians, as he's writing these letters, teaching and preaching. And you know Paul. Paul can't be quiet about the gospel. Can you imagine how much gospel these guards heard in their six-hour shift? Could you imagine sitting here for six hours listening to me? <laughs> Think of that, right? <laughs> How awful would that be? You'd rather be chained up to an imperial guard. Hours after hours, they probably heard this. So what was happening is it was becoming known throughout this guard, hey, he didn't commit a crime. You know what he's here for? This Christ, he's preaching this Christ. I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going to come back to it. Severe mode of confinement. But as it became known, it started to pervade. It started to go out into the city. It started to hit what we call the rest. What did the Bible say? And to all the rest there in verse 13. This is so important. The rest is others and others' places. This is spreading through the city. And, and the Bible says what? That they're speaking without fear. Let me explain speaking real quick. This is not just preaching behind a pulpit. Speaking is everyday conversation. This is what Paul was intentional about. They're speaking boldly. You don't have to have a platform. You could do this in everyday conversation. There was a boldness that took hold of these believers, all because of the positive 
response that Paul was receiving. You'd think it'd be counterintuitive. I'll use my brother Mike right here. If Mike did this and ended up in jail, guess what? I don't want to end up in jail, so I'm not going to do what Mike did, right? Does, is that perfect logic? But not for these guys. They see Paul in jail, and they say, well, I'll speak bolder. I'll just speak to more people without fear. See, something great was happening in here. And you have to see the bigger picture here. I think you see it developing. These believers could see that God was spreading the gospel through Paul. The circumstances of confinement were doing what his circumstances outside could never have done. He was there for the sole purpose of what was happening. God was using him. He was instrumental. Paul couldn't have done this outside of prison. I want that to start sinking in. God was using Paul's chains to accomplish this progress, this advancement, this furtherance that could have never happened any other way. That's our God. So the gospel was introduced to the men of this elite, a praetorian guard. It was introduced. Could Paul have reached these men if he was free? Absolutely not. Hey, I want to tell you about God, and guess what? You're going to listen because you got nowhere to go. I got six hours of material. Wow. Wow. That is our God. So he's introducing the gospel. And it began, it be, like I said, it began to pervade. It began to reach out to others, to the rest. The brothers spoke boldly. Ephesians 1.11. You don't have to look it up. We're going to put it up here. Ephesians 1.11 Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Real quick, guys, in this verse, in this verse, Paul is using a general statement about working God's, uh, working everything out for God's counsel, for his will. Okay? He's also mentioning a support for a specific statement, predestination. So we're not focusing on the predestination. We're not focusing on the specific because we could place any specific statement we want related to God in this verse. And because what? Because of the purpose of him who works all things according to his will. So we're looking at that general statement in this verse. That's what's important. Nothing occurs in this world without God knowing about it. We just read, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. That means he is all-powerful and he is all-knowing. Therefore, God is in control. God is in control. So guess what? If that's the case, is God responsible for our sin? God, you're in control, right? Are you responsible for our sin? Do I have free will? God, do I really have free will if you're in control? You know, the world thinks this. I have debated so many non-believers about this. Well, God, you know, God invented evil. God created evil. God's evil. Therefore, God, you know, God, you know, God created sin. God's in charge of sin over and over. And I try to explain it the best I can, but I want to share this with you. Nothing occurs without God knowing about it. That's absolutely right. Is he responsible for our sin? Absolutely not. Do we have free will? Absolutely. God does not make anyone sin. We sin because we freely choose to sin. That disobedience, it's on us. 
God allows the condition to exist where sin is possible. It is the freedom, our freedom, our free will, when we decide to be obedient or disobedient. Give you a little analogy, a little explanation. If a parent says to a child, I want you to clean this backyard up. I'm going out for a couple hours. When I get back, I'd like this yard to be cleaned up. That's your chore. I want it done. Kid says, absolutely. Absolutely, I'll get it done. Parent comes back a couple hours later, looks in the backyard. Not a thing was touched. Nothing's been cleaned. What's going on here? Finds the child inside and confronts him. I told you to clean the yard. You said you would do it. I expected this of you, and you disobeyed me. Now, let me ask you something. Is the parent responsible for that child not cleaning that yard? Absolutely not. That's on that kid. He's the one who didn't follow through. Is the, is the parent responsible? Is he the one who's got to take that sin now of disobedience? Does he have to carry that? Absolutely not. The child had the opportunity to clean, and he chose to disobey. Again, God created the conditions where we have the possibility to rebel, yet he is not responsible for our rebellion against him. A lot of people think God's just doing us on strings. I want you to sin here, and I want you to sin here. That is not true, and that's not true of Paul. Paul could have rebelled at any time, but Paul had a special gift. He had a secret, and I'm going to share that secret with you today, and I want you to leave with it, and I want you to always remember it. I'll share it in a second. So you have the little analogy now. We know God created the conditions where we have the opportunity to either obey or disobey. We do, and it's our choice. But guess what? That choice is on us. We do have a responsibility. And I'm going to say it again. I don't know if you remember. You, as we dive more into Philippians, you're going to experience the tension between human responsibility and God's sovereignty. And they go hand in hand. They are hand in hand. Paul proves that. So let me move on. I love... I love the story of Moses. I love that God used that rod. You know Moses' rod. You know what I'm talking about? God used that rod, didn't he? What about Gideon? Remember when Gideon attacked and he had those jars, or some of you may call them pitchers, and he attacked with those? And then, of course, uh, David facing Goliath. He had that sling. Isn't it interesting how God uses things to further his purposes? A rod? jars, a sling. And now, what's he using? He's using Paul's chains. See, he was bound, but Paul's aim, his goal, his purpose was nothing but the gospel. He wanted to present the gospel. And I told in the bulletin today, he was a chained man, but there was unchained word. The word was never chained. In fact, Paul's chains released the word all through the purpose of God's will. How grateful he was for these chains. To some, looking at this, it may have looked like complete failure. He's in prison. He failed. He messed up. That's where he should be. He's in prison. It was not a mistake. He did not fail. In fact, Paul rejoiced in these circumstances. Paul was, you ready for your secret word? And we're going to expound on this in a minute. He was single-minded. Single-minded. Let that sink in. We're going to come back. He was focused on the purpose of spreading God's word. This was his goal all along. This was all that mattered to Paul. That's hard for us. In chains, imprisoned, no freedom. 
Two years. I am so, I'm rejoicing. This, this is the best. That's Paul. He's saying this. He's living this joy out. This is all that mattered. In fact, there were two groups preaching Christ. One was preaching in love. One was preaching the gospel correctly. And Paul's like, hey, Christ is being proclaimed. But there was another group, and we don't know who they are. Don't try to figure it out because we do not have that information. But there was another group. Guess what they were preaching? They were also preaching correctly. They were preaching a true and correct gospel, just like the ones we're doing in love, except the only difference was their hearts were horrible. Their hearts were wrong. They weren't doing this out of love. What did they want to do? They wanted to afflict Paul. They wanted to shake his confidence. They wanted to lessen his influence. They wanted to build up and promote their ministry over his. He's in jail. Now's our time to make our move. Paul would have been all over them if they were teaching something false, if it wasn't correct. Come on, we know that. We've seen that. Paul deals with false teachers. Paul deals with problems in the church. They were teaching a correct gospel. And he was rejoicing over it, even though they were dragging his name through the mud. He could care less about the rivalry. He could care less about their hidden agenda. He could care less about their motives. What did he say? Christ is being proclaimed. How do we get to that place? A lot of us will be trying to, come on, man, let me just go outside for a minute. Just come with me, guard. Let's clothesline them. I mean, we would be pretty upset if someone was trying to hurt us and afflict us with pain, yet Paul's sitting there and rejoicing. It blows my mind because I'm trying to put myself in his place. I'm trying to be miserable in this house, chained to somebody, not being able to leave and do what I want. I'm trying to see what that's like. I'm trying to live out what Scripture's saying here, you know? I don't think I'd like it, and I don't think I'd like that group, but Paul could care less. It didn't even matter. Christ was being proclaimed. There's a secret to that, and I told you, it's single-mindedness. We're going to get to that again in a minute. Paul's love for the Savior was far too great to worry about these people and, and their contentious ways. His love for the Savior was far too great for what these people were doing and saying. Could you imagine if we could live this life without worrying about what someone says about us behind our backs or to our face? If we were so strong, like, nah, my God's too big. I'm sorry, that does, that does not hurt me. You don't afflict me. That's not bothering me. I'm going to keep on. His love for the Savior was far too great. This envy, envious, this, this, this selfish ambition, it did not impact him. He was not moved by any of these things. It was all that mattered. I'm so impressed by that. Look at verse 18. <laughs> I love this. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I love those two words. Paul goes, what then? What follows this? What are the results of all this? We have to understand that Paul's desire was to preach the gospel in Rome. Rome was the key city to the empire. It was critical to conquer this city. In fact, it was considered the hub. If you could conquer Rome, that would spread to millions because it was that hub. And this was critical. It was Paul's goal. It was his focus. It was his aim. In fact, let's look at three verses. We're going to start. You don't have to turn there. Acts 23.11. It says this. 
The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Acts 19, 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And in Romans 1.15, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul wanted the believers in Philippi to learn a very important truth. And that that's, it's this, there are no accidents with God. His ministry in Rome was not stopped because of his chains. It was actually being advanced. It was being furthered. Folks, his circumstances belonged to God. Our circumstances belong to God. God is in control. Let's cross the bridge. Let's cross that great, great bridge from Paul's imprisonment to you and I today, okay? We're gonna make this, make this even more real here. God wants you and I to take the gospel into new areas as well. We see that, we know that, absolutely. Great commission. He wants us to pioneer. He wants us to cut a new path into new territory. Therefore, God places us in circumstances to fulfill this purpose of pioneering the gospel. In fact, this is how Paul ended up in Philippi in the first place. Again, I don't know if you recall, Paul was headed in a different direction. He wasn't going to, to this Philippian, uh, these Philippian people, to the Philippi. He wasn't going there. He was going somewhere else, but God shut door after door after door, and guess what? Directed him straight to Philippi, where this church was established, this wonderful congregation that partnered with Paul, both in his ministry and imprisonment. You may remember that from the very first part of Philippians. And he found so much joy when he thought of them and this partnership. That's what happened. God led him there. But i got to ask a question. Maybe you're thinking this. How in the world can you and I rejoice? How can we be content? How can we trust that God is in control when we find ourselves in circumstances that are frightening, in circumstances that are uncomfortable, in circumstances where we go, hey, this is not at all what I expected? A question maybe we would ask is, how did I end up here? How in the world did I, did I end up here? God, don't you love me? God, do you see where I'm at? Yes, God absolutely sees where you're at because God's in complete control. Your circumstances belong to God. Paul's circumstances belong to God. Paul reveals the secret within the story today, and I mentioned it before. It's single-mindedness. It's single-mindedness. He looked on his circumstances as God-given opportunity, rejoicing in what God was doing, not what God was not doing. He was rejoicing in what God was doing. See, when we are of single mind, and here's, here it is, folks. Here's the meat and potatoes. When we are of single mind, we focus on the purposes of God's will, not ours, and that is exactly what Paul was doing here in Rome. If you want to know why he can sit in prison and be chained to somebody for two years and be joyful and content, it's because his purposes and his will were lined up with that of God's. He was ecstatic that Christ was being proclaimed. That's why he had so much joy, because he lined up with God. He had single-mindedness. Now, if he was fighting God in every which way, he probably would have been much more miserable. 
but he knew the circumstances belonged to God. And Paul saw the evidence of what was happening. That's why he said, let me tell you what's happening to me. No, I'm fine. I'm not going to tell you about my being chained. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to tell you about uh, uh, me not feeling well or, or being tired or just miserable. No, guess what's happening to me? The gospel being advanced. He went straight to the gospel because that was his goal. We saw it in Scripture all along. He had single-mindedness. He had single purpose, and it was lined up with God. Are we sovereign masters of our own fate? The world will tell you yes. I'm going to talk about the world in a second. Are we sovereign masters of our own fate? Absolutely not. Only God. Only God is sovereign. Uh, There are no accidents in this universe under God's providence. There are no accidents. Joseph said in Genesis, and I love this, this is true for us today, hey, you meant evil against me, but what? God meant it for good. Man's evil led to Paul being put in chains, but God meant that for good. Even when man's intent is evil, God can still bring about his purpose and his will. Guess what? We see this in the crucifixion of Jesus. I want to read a couple verses to you. Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Did that verse just say that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God? Yes, it did. Those circumstances Jesus was in was directed by the Father. They belonged to him. Jesus was obedient all the way to death on that cross. He never got off course. What's the next verse? Acts 4, 27 through 28. You know what this one says? For truly in God, uh, excuse me, uh, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Wait a minute. You talking, this wasn't chance? Jesus wasn't caught by chance? Oh, this is Jesus' fate. No, this is the sovereign work of God. It was his hand and his plan that predestined this to take place. If God's in control and in charge of the crucifixion, don't you think you're in good hands if he's in control of your life? I had, uh, I was a huge wilderness guy years ago, huge wilderness guy, and I was on a search and rescue team, and I loved that stuff. I was a point man. We had a dog team, and then we had a, a man team, and we learned, and we practiced, and we knew how to track people that were lost, or animals, things like that, of, of that nature. We tracked all the time, and we got really good at it, and in search and rescue, There's a lot of opportunity to teach others, especially kids. And I was teaching once that if you're in the wilderness camping or you're on a hike, carry a compass. It's small. It's easy. A compass. And what happens when you get lost and get off course is you try to climb a tree or get to a high point, and you do what this, you shoot what we call an azimuth, okay? So I may be lost so I climbed this tree, and I'm telling him, look, look, maybe 10, 15 miles away, maybe you see a very unique geographical feature. Maybe it's like a bald part of a mountain, 
you know, or a really neat feature. Aim, shoot an azimuth with your compass, get your bearings. Then you climb down and you begin to follow that course to reach that destination, and then you do it all over again with the next geographical feature until you find yourself in safety. You've got to follow those bearings. But here is the kicker with using a compass. If my location's here, and I'm shooting my azimuth, I may be perfect dead on. God, here I come. But if you're an inch or two off at your very start, that's no big deal. I'll end up an inch or two right next to my destination. Absolutely not. As you walk farther and farther, you veer farther off. And now you have this great distance between you and your destination where you needed to be. A great barrier of distance. I tell you right now, that's how I see the world. So the world has slowly veered off course, did not check their bearings, cared less. Now you have this world that would love to mold you, would love to put you into a mold and press you into what they want. But see, here's the problem with the world in this great distance. You ready for this? This story, oh, it's a gorgeous, cute little story. It's a myth. It's a wonderful myth. They should make movies about it, but it's just a story. Or, oh, tell me the fable about Noah. Or tell me the fable about David. Fables. And I've also heard this. You ready? Here's the great barrier, great distance, the world. You know, I understand you guys look to that, but it's because you're weak. You're weak-minded. You're not, you don't have strength and character. See, you need to look to something that will give you hope because you're so miserable and pathetic in your life. That's why Christians look to this, this mythical figure of Jesus because it gives us hope with our solemn, pathetic lives. This is how Christians are viewed. This is what the world wants to mold. It's all about you. Hey, I want you to know what's happened to me. Now I want to just talk about me. That's what the world wants to do. The world doesn't want you to rejoice over chains and imprisonment for the claiming Christ. The world wants to tell you, this is a joke, man. This is folly. This is rubbish. You believe that? You know why it's happened? Because they've grown so far away. There's absolutely just, they're their own God. They live in a world that they're surrounded for pleasure, for happiness. It's all about me, me, me. Paul was absolutely the opposite. Take me out of it. Christ is being proclaimed single-mindedness. <clears throat> I wish there were worldly people here. I know I got a bunch of God-loving, fearing Christians. But God did not create the world for the primary goal of mankind's happiness. Did y'all know that? You were created just, I just want you to be happy. No, no, no. His goal was to manifest, to bring about his glory. It was to reveal his glory. Of course, the world wants you to think otherwise. That's why we have so many self-help sections in bookstores and libraries. Self-help, not God's help. God is the greatest good. He is the beginning and end of all things. God, as a redeemed sinner, to understand what's happened, it's immeasurably better. And again, you have two different things here. You have God, people, people who are pursuing and following God, and you have the world, what they want to make. Anybody in the world would be miserable in Paul's circumstances. That's not their aim, goal, and purpose. That's not where my single-mindedness is. In fact, I'm double-minded. I'm over here. I want you to know about me. I want me, 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 me. I want pleasure. I want happiness. Think about this. Let's put it this way. Which world would you rather live in? I'll give you guys the choice. Would you like a world where I control everything? 
You better say no. Guess what? I don't want a world where you're in control of everything. That's a bad problem, isn't it? But people say, no, 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 man. I'm in control. It's my destiny. It's my fate. I'm in control. We know that's not true. What about a world where Satan is in control? By the way, a lot of people do think Satan is in control. I'm going to tell you now. I get what you're saying. I get where you're coming from. I know he's rolling this earth. Satan is not in complete control. God allows Satan to do the things he does. The Holy Spirit is restraining that pure evilness that the tribulation will truly see. But would you like Satan to be in control? Of course not. What about chance? People believe in chance. Let's just roll the dice, buddy. Flip that coin. Chance. I do not want Satan or chance to be in control of my life. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that right now. But the all-powerful, the all-knowing, infinitely good and wise God, I would like him to be in control because the Bible tells me that he works everything together for the good of those who trust him and for his glory. So I choose God. That's who I want to be in control. Now, I'm going to tell you, if I presented these four to an unbeliever, I bet they'd say, yeah, I'd probably choose the, this God you're talking about. I think I'd want him to be in control because Satan's going to, he's going to do bad things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you're telling me chance is just, we're just throwing caution into the wind and see what happens? Yeah, that's not real. That's not real. Okay. And, and I, I, I don't want you in control of my life. I, I like the idea of me being in control of my life. Can I have that one? Well, you can because that's what the world wants you to believe. That's the mold that's pressed into, uh, that's pressing, uh, shaping you to live in this world. It's all about you. You can do it. You're in control. God is in control. This is single-mindedness. Paul never explicitly tells us that God's sovereignty led him to prison for his good or for the good of the gospel. But it is obvious that it is God-orchestrated. It is obvious. See, Paul stated three things in this text. He said the gospel was known. He said it was spoken with boldness. And he said, Christ was proclaimed all due to God's purposeful will for his chains. All due to God's purposeful will for his chains. Paul was wholeheartedly devoted to God. If you don't know that, read the letters. I'm telling you, read Acts. Paul was wholeheartedly devoted to God. And I'll tell you something else. He fixed his heart on Christ. You see, Paul can show us, and he reveals to us, that the gospel can free us from focusing on our circumstances. Paul shows this over and over. Over and over. But he fixes his heart on Christ. And this is a continual process. His eyes, his heart. Because this is the power of the gospel. This is what brings joy to us because of spiritual realities. Let me tell you, the spiritual reality of things is what brought Paul joy. Uh, you don't have to turn there. But 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, and I'm just going to paraphrase. You know, we are not looking to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. See, things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. My chains. These chains are temporary. But things that are unseen are eternal. See, Paul was looking to the eternal with his single-mindedness. These chains didn't bother me. But the single-mindedness purpose of God, that bothers me if I'm not on course. I thought I paraphrased it very well, but if you want to put it up, that's okay. Things eternal. 
Paul stated these three things. The gospel is known. It was spoken with boldness. Christ was proclaimed. This is all that mattered to him. And do you really want to know why? Everybody turn to Romans 12.2. Everybody, take your Bibles. Let's turn to Romans 12.2. You probably already know the verse. Turn to Romans 12.2. We're getting a workout today, flipping pages in our Bibles. We need to do more of that, don't we, Harold? Flip pages. Amen. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. <clears throat> Do not be conformed to this world. Again, I told you, as you drift farther and farther apart from God, which we probably have all done at some point in our lives, there's that great distance. We begin to conform to something, and I'm going to tell you it's not God. We begin to conform to the world. But Paul says you need to be transformed from that by the renewing of your mind. That's the whole self. So that you can test and you may discern what the will of God is. What? I, want, I have to be in line with will, God's will? Absolutely. That's why Paul could rejoice. Paul was transformed. What the will of God, his, God's will was, that was his will. And you get to test what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want that. I want that. And that's not a day-by-day -day thing. You don't renew your mind just daily. I'm going to tell you, you renew it hourly hour by hour. Paul continued always to get fixed back on Christ as he traveled to that destination. He was not getting off course. He set his bearings and he continued to renew his mind and his self constantly so that he could exercise the will of God in his life. That's why he had so much joy. I want that. I want that. In all circumstances, you're telling me I can express joy? Yeah, if your will is lined up with the purposes of God, absolutely. Think about that distance that we can create when we get off course. So how do we get to this place? How do we get to this place where Paul is? I read a great, it's just a little paragraph. I read a great uh, little bit in a, it's called, a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. A lot of you know who C.S. Lewis is. He writes this. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time. I don't want so much of your money and so much of your work, I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit handed over. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Paul got it. Paul was single-minded in his purpose for the gospel. He was single-minded in his love for others. God's will and purposes for Paul were Paul's will and purposes for the gospel. They lined up. He was on course because he constantly was renewing his mind, being transformed through the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, being transformed from this worldly 
And you know Paul was worldly. Saul, who became Paul, right? We see this new self. God saying, put on me. Take what you are off. Kill it. Put on me. I want my will to become yours. I want you. And this is what Paul understood. This is the beautifulness of single-mindedness. So how do we get there? We have to renew our minds and allow the Holy Spirit to direct us and keep us on course constantly. Not every Sunday. What you doing Sunday? Oh, I'm going to get back on course Sunday. Uh, I can get off course Monday. No, we have to completely renew constantly to stay on that course. This is why Paul could express so much joy. This is why Paul was ecstatic when he said, guess what's happened to me? The gospel's being proclaimed. No, 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 I thought you were going to tell us what's happened to you. I am. The gospel's being proclaimed. That's all I care about, man. That's everything to me. I want to be like that. Don't you want that? in all circumstances, in every area of your life, to know that God is in complete control, sovereign over you in every circumstance you find yourself. So yeah, it may be scary. It may be, oh, you gotta be kidding me situation, right? We all have those. But our circumstances are designed and controlled and looked after by God. Paul proves this over and over. And if we wanna be able to rejoice in these circumstances, we got to be single-minded in our purpose and God's will. We have to stay on that course. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful to you. I am so grateful, Father, that you've given us so much information, Lord, for our living, our daily living. Father, we, we are like sheep. We can be dumb, dumb animals, Father. It is easy for us to be lost. It is easy for us to get off course. It is easy for us to start molding ourselves into what the world expects, Lord, because we live in a world that doesn't know you. We live in a world that's gonna reject you constantly, over and over, yet here we are living in that world. God, we beg of you right now, keep us on course, Father. Let us constantly come to you and ask you, through your spirit, Father, to work in our lives, renewing us, Lord, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, Father, we ask you to please transform us from what we used to be. Let us turn over that old self to you to destroy. Let us put on you and let us be single-minded in your will, single-minded in your purposes, because, Father, it's all about your glory. Christians get it. Paul got it, Father. We're getting it today. It is all about manifesting your glory. We are your created beings, Father, and we are grateful. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are uh, loved, and we have the greatest inheritance in, in store for us, all because of your purposes, all because of your will. Just like we see it in Christ, it was your plan. It was your hand involved. These were your definite plans. These were your ways. And Father, we ask, we know now, in our life, Father, we want that. Be the God of every aspect, every nook and cranny of our life. Be the God who is in control. In every circumstance we find ourselves, God, be our God who is in control. Let us always look to you. Let us trust you, Father. Let us trust you in all things, knowing that you are working all things all things for the good, according to your purpose, 
You love us. You want the best for us. But it's your purpose and your will, Lord, that we have to walk along with, that we have to be single-minded in. Father, help us get to that place. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for always, always your watchful eye upon us in our lives. We thank you for directing our steps. Father, let us be single-minded. Let us look to you and trust you, Lord, in your purposes, in your will. I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.